A reading from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, first through the 14th verse. Hear these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Or he will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Ever equipping God. As I speak, may you increase and I decrease. May the words you have given me for this message be seeds that rest in our hearts, that we might bear fruit for you. May I be bold and courageous in speaking what it is you've given me to speak. And may we, as your people, have ears that hear. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Gather with me, if you will, a time back in the 1960s when my brother and I, we would gather around the table and that, around the, the TV and we would turn the TV and fine tune the channel in because about the time we got it tuned in, we would hear this song. Batman, Batman, Batman. And oh, our hearts would beat and we would get so excited and we would look at each other and grin and we just could not wait to watch the next episode of Batman. I asked my brother one time, I said, who's your favorite character on Batman other than Batman? Well, his answer, as usual, was Batgirl. He loved Batgirl. But me, I liked the guy dressed in green. He was Batman's nemesis. And he made Batman and Robin always think. And his symbol he wore on his chest was a big question mark. The Riddler. I loved the Riddler. And one of my favorite riddles that he ever said was this. Riddle me this, Batman. The poor have it, 
the rich need it, and if you eat it, you will die. Now, don't go Google and hurry and look that up, because I'll give you the answer later in the sermon. But what I want you to know is that today we're going to talk about a situation that happened with Jesus and his disciples that applies to us every day in our lives. Every day. And let me tell you how that happens. Invariably, within a week, a phone will ring and somebody picks it up. And what we hear about is something that happened in somebody's life. And automatically, especially in my profession, but also in all of our lives, we begin to do this. Why? How? What? And we begin to ask questions. In fact, recently I had a conversation with one of my close friends about something that had happened in his life. And the very next thing after I heard the details of went on, that went on and I got him to where he could breathe a little bit, he came up with these questions. Now, they weren't questions for me. They were questions for God. And then he asked me a question. The question that everybody seems to want to know. Does it mean I'm weak in my faith if I'm questioning God. Let's just dig into the story today. Let's set the story up just like it was one of those episodes on TV and gather around and let's watch the scene and let's see what happens. You see, they're gathered in the upper room, all of them. They're good brothers. They've, they love each other. They've grown close like brothers. Now, they're not biological brothers, but they're brothers in faith. And they've gathered with their teachers. And he sat at the table and he always says the strangest things. And he's been saying some real crazy things lately, talking about dying and all that kind of stuff. In fact, they've sat at the table and he says something like this. One of you is going to betray me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm gathered with my family and, and the leader of the family, the patriarch or the matriarch on this Mother's Day, would happen to say that one of us would betray them. Well, that would be enough news to wreck the whole family for the night. I mean, it would disperse the meal. People would get up and we would leave. And questions would begin to be asked. And of course, as you know, questions were asked that night. Master, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And Jesus says, no, it'll be the one who dips the cup with me. And he sends Jesus, Judas out of the room so that Judas can go and do what Judas does. And then there's always our friend, the big, bolstery, arrogant, speak before you think, the one I relate to the most, my, my friend Peter. He's sitting at the table, and he makes such bold things. He's going to stand against Judas. Master, I would never do that. I would never, I would go with you until death. I would give my life for you. And you know, Jesus has to be asking questions then, right? Really, Peter? By the time the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. So this little band of guys, this little band of disciples, this little school that Jesus has been holding, this little holy meal that they've been sacrificing has just gone completely off the map. And Jesus brings it still. So you can imagine the emotional feelings with everybody in the room. First, Judas is going to deny. And even before that, they, they argued about who was the favorite. And then Judas denies him and then, I mean, betrays him. And then, and then Peter gets told that he's going to deny him. And then Jesus says this most of all. 
Trust in me. I've told you a lot of stuff tonight, but trust in me. Trust also in God. You don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to a place, and I'm going to prepare the place for you, and when I come back, I'm going to take you to go with me. Now, there's been chaos in the room. Complete chaos. I mean, if this was a TV show, what a soap opera we would be having. And the leader says, trust me. Trust in God also. And when he says and uses the analogy of I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, most of us use the image of heaven. I've read this scripture probably almost every funeral I've done. Because it brings us comfort. Because we believe God has prepared a place for us. And we believe that when we lose a loved one, that we want to be comforted enough to know that our loved one goes and is in the presence that God has, of the place where God has prepared for them. And it speaks goodness into our life. But it was chaotic for the disciples. If you think it brought comfort to the disciples, you're extremely wrong. It did not comfort them at all because of all the chaos. This is the night before the crucifixion. Jesus is preparing his disciples. And he's testing, not intentionally testing, but he's emotionally and spiritually testing where they are. And questions begin to fly. What do we do when we hear about traumatic events in our lives? What do we do when, when, when our life gets shaken up? What do we do when somebody presents us a riddle in life and we can't figure it out about what's going on in our situations? We begin to question. And we begin to question God. And we take that, the questions. And I mean, how many questions? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? How many times have we asked that? Where are all the bad people going to be? What does eternity look like? I mean, I, we can go on and on with the questions we have for God. And my response to my friend when he asked me those questions were, look, that's a conversation you need to have between you and your creator. I, God hasn't given me those answers. And I wouldn't attempt to answer your question. Because I believe this scripture right here tells us it's okay to question God. It's okay to give God our angst in our spirit. Because it's what everybody feels in those situations. It's the angst of your spirit. You want everything to be in order, to be good, and to happen right in your life. But life doesn't happen like that. Even Jesus' life didn't happen like that. Even the disciples' life didn't happen like that. It went to chaos in a heartbeat. They needed a hero. But what they got was someone who presented them with a situation and understanding and instruction which still kept them confused. How much comfort, if you don't think about heaven, how much comfort is I'm going to prepare, believe in me, because I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and when I prepare a place, I'll come back and get you, and you can be where I am. But just handle what's going on today, okay? Y'all be cool and handle it, all right? And Thomas, I love Thomas. I mean, I preached on him a couple weeks ago. I love Thomas. Because he's bold and he's straight up with Jesus. And he asked the question all of us want to ask. Where are you going? I don't have a clue. Anybody know what heaven looks like? 
I mean, I've seen movies, read books, descriptions of heaven. I, I have my own image of what I think heaven's like, but is it heaven he's talking about? Or is he talking about just going and being in the presence of God and preparing a place in the presence of God for us? Thomas said, Lord, I mean, when I read it at funerals, I always want to do that. I want to go, Thomas says, Lord, we don't have a clue where you're going. Show us the way. I mean, straighten out the riddle. Answer the question for me. Quit leaving me in this place where I'm not quite sure. Quit it. I need a question answered, God. How many of us have questions in our lives for God, but we're afraid to ask them because somebody might say we're weak in our faith. These are the most intimate people in Jesus's life, and they are sitting with him, reclining with him at a table, and they're not afraid to speak their peace. They understand his divinity. Well, sort of. They understand who he is, that he's of God, and they're not afraid to ask a hard question. Jesus, I'm not sure I know where you're going. Would you show me the way? God, I don't know what you're doing in my life. Would you at least tell me what you're doing? God, I don't understand why this happened back in my life. Can you tell me why? And what happened to those people, God? Where will they be? Are they included in your love? God, what do you... And we go on and on and on with our questions, and our questions are okay for God. In fact, Rabbi Andrew Joshua Heschel says this. We are closer to God when we are questioning about our faith than when we think we have all the answers. Think about that. We are closer to God when we are questioning our faith than when we think we have all the answers. When I heard that, I thought, that's exactly right. That's exactly right, because what happens is when we begin to question God, When we begin to throw everything in our lives at God, and believe me, God's big enough to handle it, we're doing exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do. We're doing exactly what he instructed them to do in the first line of the story. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me and trust also in the one who sends me. When we question God, we trust God for the answer. Thomas, Lord, we don't know the way. Can you show us the way? He wants to know where God's going in his life. He wants to know where he can be along with God in his life. Where can he meet God in his life? And Jesus says to him another riddle. Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, can you imagine? And it is a struggle for some people. But in that day especially, what a struggle that statement was. The Roman Empire, all hail Caesar. Pilate governing over things. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you're going to believe in God, you've got to walk with me. 
If you're going to believe in God, you've got to believe that God sent me. You've got to believe that I'm your avenue. I'm your avenue to that intimate relationship. To a God who's willing to walk with you all the way through crucifixion. All the way through crucifixion. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me, to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. And for Christians, that's the basis of our belief. That Jesus is our avenue to an intimate relationship with God. And we as Christians have to be willing to ask the question, where are you going? What are you doing? Why did this happen? How can you let this happen to me? I mean, we ask every one of those questions, and it's not because we're weak in our faith. It's because we believe in the foundation of God's grace. In fact, Richard Rohr, I read a thing this week from Richard Rohr, and it said, grace is not something God does. Grace is who God is. And I loved that statement, because when I think about throwing my questions my deep, hurtful questions, the things that I have questions about, about faith and, and what it means to be a believer and how far that's supposed to go, I know I can give them to God. I know I can ask, and that whole envelopment of love, that whole envelopment will receive me with grace because that's who God is. And God understands my struggle. God understands your struggle. God understands the struggles of all the people who are gathered around that table. And God is grace. And God welcomes our questions. And then there's Philip. Philip who's in conversation with Jesus and, and he says this. He says, um, well, could you tell us what God looks like? Now, I don't know if you understand how big a question that was. Moses, when in relationship with an intimate relationship with God, said, I want to know your name, and I want to see your face. And God said, I'll give you my name, but I cannot allow you to see my face. Because if anyone's to see my face, they will die. Because the glory is too much. But I will place you up on a rock, and I will go by, and I will hide your eyes as I go by. And then you can see as I go by. I'll take my hand off, off your eyes. It's third chapter in Exodus. Go read it. And he puts Moses in the cleft of a rock. And God passes by. And Moses gets to see God go by. David Luce says, Moses gets to see God's backside. Well, you know what? For some of us, maybe that's enough. But what I'm saying is, Philip says, tell me what God looks like so that I'll know God. Isn't that what we want? We want to know exactly what God looks like. If we can't know exactly where you're going, but we know the way because you're the way and we want to follow you, Jesus, can't we at least know what God looks like? And Jesus says the most wonderful thing that we, the people of God, need to remember. 
Believe in me. I am of God and God is of me. What I do is of God. The words that I speak are from God. The actions that I do are from God. If you can't believe in that, at least believe in the works that you have seen with your eyes. We live in pandemic times. A time that hadn't been seen in a long time. And many of us have changed it from pandemic to panic. Because we've forgotten to trust in God. But Jesus says, look around you. God is present with you. Everywhere you look, God is there. If you'll have eyes that see. Believe in the works themselves. The works of corporate businesses. Writing checks to entities that feed hungry people. The works of companies who manufacture things, retooling their instruments to manufacture health care equipment so that people can be safe. The works of two college boys filling their trunk with food and standing on the side of the road where the homeless live in their community and feeding the homeless. It goes on and on and on in our very communities that wherever we are, God is present with us, but we must have the eyes that see. We must be willing to remember what the Christ looks like and what the connection with our God is about. That if it's okay for us to be believers in the faith, but that we go ahead and we question God, and then when we question God, in questioning God, we find God. Pope Francis says that it's a continual paradox that we're in, in seeking God. We seek to find God, and then when we find God, we continue to seek to find more of God. It's the same thing in our lives. It's the same thing of what Jesus was talking about on that night when he met in the upper room with his disciples. That we, the people of God, must ask God our deepest questions so that we can become more and more intimate with God and live in God's presence. And as we live in God's presence, more of God will be revealed to us. So this week, the answer to the riddle is the same thing when people ask me, is there anything wrong with asking God our hard questions? My question, my answer to them is, there is nothing. There is nothing wrong with asking God our hard questions. Because in asking God our hard questions, we trust in God for the answers. And that relationship allows us to be more and more intimate with the Christ and the one who created us. This week, open your heart, open your mind, open your spirit, ask God the questions. Seek God and you will find. Amen and amen.